Hallelujah. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's a good word. Like she said, if everything were easy, would you have to be told to rejoice? If life were constant, I'm in. Uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I'm, it has been a challenging week, along with, yeah, putting all that stuff together, praying and, and being there for Beth and Bill, and just, but you know what? That's what we do, right? That's what family does. I mean, you know, we, we may not be some huge mega church anywhere, but how many of you know we are a family? And family cares about one another. That's, that's what's so important. You know, it's not, it's not important just to go to a church and nobody knows your name. Nobody, you don't develop any relationships. We come here to develop relationships as the body of Christ because the way God tells us to get there is together. God is a God of together. It's not a God, okay, well, just me and the Lord. I just, me and the Lord. It, uh, it usually doesn't work out well that way. And uh, as we've even gone through this week, sometimes some scripture becomes more real than other times. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like especially when you walk through the valley. And I was thinking this morning about Psalms 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us, right? And one of the things that I realize when you go through these valleys is you get a different awareness and presence of God that you don't get when you're up on the mountaintop. Nobody opts for, oh man, I want to go in the valley. Let me walk through the dark time. We don't want that, but God allows us to go through those times, and that's where we get a deeper presence of the Lord that you'll never get anywhere else. We get comforted because He is with us in a way that is just different then uh, when everything's wonderful. I mean, yes, please, I like everything wonderful. I'm, who's with me? But it's those valleys that God really begins to do a work in us. So just thinking of that, and really, I had this message already prepared before I knew this week was going to happen like it did. We're, we're starting our series, our Christmas series today, The Light of the World. As I'm thinking about it, how many of you love Christmas time? All right, is it your favorite time? Those of that you didn't raise your hand, I'm assuming it's not your favorite. I'm just kidding. But I love it. And, and I can just say, let me just speak for my family. First of all, one of the reasons I really do love it at this time is that our family at this point is not complicated. All right. How many of you know some families are very complicated? Yours may be. When I think of our immediate family, there's basically 10 of us, my Colleen and myself, our three kids, their spouses, and our two, two grandkids. And we host Christmas at our house. And uh, right now, at this point in time, everybody gets along. How many of you know what I'm talking about? With each other? And I'm just saying, not that we don't have an occasional family drama. Am I right? <laughs> uh, occasionally that happens, but that happens in every family. Uh, but for the most part, we all get along. And listen, I know that's not always the case. I understand. Some of you here, you don't have to raise your hand. You've got some really complicated situation. I got a text from somebody this morning. They're, they're not here today because they had to go to the family. They're doing that four weeks early. They're doing their Christmas thing with the family because 
things are just really kind of complicated. And, and uh, sometimes it's like, oh, you know what? Well, we're going to go to here for this family. We're going to go to here to this family. And, and, you know, maybe you start out Christmas Eve over here at this family. Christmas breakfast, you know, you're going to be at this family member. Lunch, okay, we got to go two hours. We're going to go to this one. And then we're going to do dinner somewhere else. And then maybe next week we're going to do something else. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It just gets really complicated, and we find ourselves in this juggling act of how do I keep everybody happy? How am I going to do that? And uh, for some of you here, some some watching online, uh, have very complicated families. That's just the world that we live in. And the thought of Christmas, even though we like it, can be very stressful. Can be very stressful. for some people, the idea of being alone, like I don't have any family to go to, nobody's going to have, or, or maybe, you know, you lost somebody. I mean, I know it's going to be, when you lose somebody, that first Christmas is very difficult, isn't it? A lot of you guys, and maybe the next several on that, but the bottom line is that Christmas and the holidays in general can just be very complicated, which is why I say at this point in our life, that our Christmas isn't very complicated. And listen, I don't take that for granted. Because after this past week, how many of you realize circumstances can change on a dime? What you thought was solid, I've got my plans, I know this is going to work out, may be completely different come next week. So <clears throat> never ta- if, you're, if you have a non-complicated Christmas, don't take it for granted either, right? Now listen... Some of you guys may be like me, like because you, you've got complicated families, you want to fix it. Anybody ever want to fix people? Right? I mean, man, wouldn't that be wonderful if we could do that? Maybe your mom and dad got divorced and it's like, oh, there's tension. How can I fix that? Or your adult kids are fighting. They don't want to talk to each other. Or Aunt Sally and Uncle Joe, you know what? They're going through it and you just want to fix it. Somehow I can mediate this. I've got this plan figured out because I'm going to fix this problem because Christmas is coming up and we all got to get along. Right? We're just going to do it. Can I let you in on a little secret? It is not your job to fix your family. Right? How many of you know it's probably not even possible to fix your family because their mess is their mess. You can't clean it up. You can't fix it. They've got to want to fix it themselves. Right, that, that You can try to do whatever you can do, but it's probably not going to work. So uh, if that's not your job, what is your job? Here it is. It's really simple. Number one, love your family. And number two, when possible, point them to Jesus. Amen. Whenever possible. And I'm not saying they come into your house and you preach you know, 24 hour, 24-7 at them. Right? Let me just put on Christian TV and uh, all of that while they're in there. No, don't, don't like... Uh, overdo it, but when you can, point them to Jesus. And, uh, and I will say this, though. If you're the one that did something to help break your family, guess what? It's on us to make amends where we can, right? If we did it, we need to apologize. We need to do what we can. But I want you to say, tell you that even though you may apologize and you may try to fix it, how many of you know that still may not fix it, right? That still may not fix it. But the Scripture says this. Paul says this in Romans He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And he says, and if it is possible, everybody say that. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, what does he say? Live at peace with everyone. So why does he say if it's impossible? Because sometimes it's not possible. 
Sometimes it's not going to happen no matter what you, what you want to do. You may want to try to bring reconciliation, but there's a key factor in it. You want to, guess what? The other person has to want to also, right? Whenever they sign peace treaties, how many of you know it's not a one-sided thing? The other side has to come into agreement, and, and whether it's peace treaties between countries or between individuals, it has to be a desire. But Paul is basically saying... As far as it depends on you, you need to try to make it right. You don't, he, basically, he's saying you don't be the hard-headed one. If somebody's going to have the hard head, let it be the other person. It's our responsibility to do the best that we can, but then we've got to leave it in the hands of God. We've got to put it in his hands, right? So uh, let's move on from that. What makes Christmas time so good and so bad at the same time? How many of you know there's a, there's a tension there's a tension in this holiday because this holiday exaggerates all the bad things that are going on because you got all your family or whatever, family either here or not here, they don't want to talk to you, whatever the situation. But at the same time, Christmas points us to something absolutely incredible. And so there's this tension going on because Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. I believe that. And I believe that it's not the most wonderful time of the year because of the things in our life that are happening, right? There's some really difficult things in life happening. I mean, Pastor Colleen was referencing Ukraine. How many of you know there's not probably a lot of holiday cheer going on when you've got bombs coming down and you're just trying to keep warm and trying to eat? Right. It's uh, Christmas is not, you know, if you do, you know, dealing with lost loved one or strained relationships, that doesn't make this time of year wonderful. Uh, we faced with these three different things during this time of year. There's problems that we can't solve. Right. I, I can't fix that. There's people we can't control. Uh, we want to. I mean, when your kids are little, what do we tell them? Behave. Right. Act right. Uh, how many of you know adults, it doesn't work that way? Actually, it usually doesn't even work for little kids, does it? So uh, people you can't control, expectations we can't meet. We come into the Christmas, I've got these expectations. I want it to be this way and that way. And I watched this Hallmark movie and it was so amazing. And I want to have the same thing in my house. Yeah, exactly. It's probably not going to happen. And if we're really honest, how many of you know sometimes we're the problem we can't solve? Right? Sometimes we're the person that can't be controlled, or sometimes we're the one that puts expectations out there that other people just can't meet. So all of that stuff is going on. So I do believe it really is the most wonderful time of the year. But like I said, not because of what is happening, but because of what has happened. Right? What has happened? Uh, here's the thing. At Easter, we celebrate the, and remember the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's an amazing time right there as well. But at Christmas, we're really celebrating a season where we're looking forward to an event that basically changed all of history. When God sent his son into the world, how many of you know he became the center of all history? Amen. Right? The he split the calendar, right? Between uh, B.C. and A.D. Like everything goes back to the birth of Christ. And more important than him being the center of history, how many of you know he came to be the center of our life? Right, the center of our life. When Jesus is the center of your life, here's the thing that he does in our life. He puts us on stable ground. We were on shifting sand. You know, when we were with Bill this week, his favorite psalm was Psalms 40. 
And it says that he lifted me out of a pit and he set my feet on a firm foundation. That's what Christ does for you when, you, when he's the center. It's like, hey, listen, this whole world is topsy-turvy and it's going all over the place, is it not? But guess what? If you got Christ at the center of your life, you're standing on solid ground, right? We sing that song, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, right? We're not going to sing it, but... Uh, uh, Timothy Lee sings a little bit better than I do. But here's the thing. Jesus at the center of your life, that also gives us hope. It's a hope-filled life. I, I don't even want to know what it's like to be in the world and suffer the kind of losses that happen in life without Christ. He's the one that gives us hope. The hope that we have in Christ is not wishful thinking. Oh, I hope that this happens. I hope that that happens. No. Our hope, biblical hope, is an assurance that what Jesus said, what God said, is going to happen. And so that's solid ground. With Christ at the center of our life, he gives us purpose. Right? I remember when I wasn't serving God growing up, I thought, well, what's my purpose? Uh, find a job, you know, raise kids, and eventually retire and die. All right? How many of you know that doesn't sound exciting at all? But when you give your life to Christ, we've got a purpose that is bigger than us. I mean, think about it. We, we have the ability to make a difference in people's lives in Ukraine that we'll never meet face-to-face, but we will one day in heaven. That only happens when you're in Christ. You begin to make a real difference. And, and putting Christ at the center really puts us in a place where we need, no longer need to fear. And there's a lot of things in this life that we need to fear, that, that are fearful, am I right? But in Christ, it's like, you know what? I don't have to be afraid. Because God has got me, and he's going to take me. That's, that's what that 23rd Psalm says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That sounds really creepy, doesn't it? But I will fear no evil, because God is with me. So I'm going to go through things that other people without Christ may, you know, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, no, look at this bill, look at this situation. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I look at it, but I know that God's got me. Because he's the center of my life, Amen. So there's this sense of Christmas not being the most wonderful time of year because maybe physically who may be with you or who won't be there. But I want to say it is the most wonderful time of year because we are reminded who really is with us. Right? Christ is with us. And when we look at our world, the darker the world gets, how many of you know, the more complicated things get. Like, man, this world, I mean, let's just be honest, this world's crazy. Right? Any doubt? <laughs> Just watch the news and it's like people are confused. They're complicated. We're like mistaken boys and girls and this and all kinds of stuff. And it's like, what is going on? But I, I believe this, that the darker the world gets, the more the light shines. Amen. And that's just a uh, physic fact right there. The darker it is, a little light will shine brighter and brighter. And I believe that that's what God is doing in the church. The brighter we shine. That, yes, we're in a dark environment, but listen, God shines out even more. Amen? Amen. So in the New Testament, I think most of you are aware there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, all of them tell a version, some similar, some a little bit different account of the life of Jesus. But how many of you know John is a little bit different? The first three, you know, if you're taking Bible college, they teach you that's called the Synoptic Gospels that give an outline and uh, But John is very different. John does not give a birth story like Matthew and Luke. 
He gives a complete different perspective. Uh, and I want to give you a little background on the book of John and uh, John himself. This is John, the apostle John. This is not John the Baptist. Some people get that confused. John the Baptist came before Jesus and, and baptized. He died uh, while Jesus' ministry was going on. John was one of the 12 disciples. He was the only disciple that didn't die from uh, being uh, executed. So he lived his entire life, even though they tried to execute him, but he lived out his life and died, they say, probably somewhere around 100 A.D. So he was a very old man, and he wrote the Gospel of John while he was exiled on the island of Patmos at that very late age. So by the time he wrote that, think about this. He's 100 years old or close to that. I don't know exactly how old he was, but you can imagine the church has grown and any time somebody gets a chance to talk with somebody that was actually with Jesus, can you imagine how many times John told these stories over and over again? Like somebody came up, oh, there's John. He was one of the disciples. He was one of the ones that, that was with Jesus. And they want to get over there. They heard this story. Hey, listen, tell me about that time you fed the 5,000. What was that like? What was that like reaching down in the basket and seeing the bread divide and the fish and you know, they wanted to hear these eyewitness stories. Or what was it like? Were you there when the, those people dug through the roof and lowered the, the sick person in and then Jesus healed them, told them to take up his mat and walk? Uh, there's so many different stories that he probably told over all of that time, hundreds if not thousands of times. He had all of them. And uh, man, wouldn't you like to sit with John just for a little bit back then? Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I would take Jesus first, but... Uh, you know, if I couldn't get Jesus, let's have an audience with John. Let's talk about it. Tell me these stories. And, uh, and, but John, here's the thing. All of his experience, he's the one that reduced God down to one word. What did he say? God is love. Wouldn't, what, what would you be reduced down to if somebody said one word to describe that person? Would it be love? I mean, if you're grumpy, if you're moody, oh man, watch out for that person. They're really moody, you know. <laughs> Nobody here, of course, but you know other people that we know. Uh, but he said love. That God is love. Where did he say it? Out of 1 John 4, 7, and 8. He goes, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from where? From God. And then anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For what? God is love. And as I was sitting there thinking about this, I realized, you know what, Lord? I'm not always as loving as I should be, right? Sometimes people get on my nerve. What about you? Anybody ever get on your nerve? And sometimes I, I don't extend that, and I'm like, okay, God, uh, we want to force ourselves into loving more. Okay, God, I'm going to love them. And I've heard people say stuff like this, well, I love you, but I don't like you. Doesn't that just sound odd? Don't raise your hand if you've said that. So uh, uh, I've heard a lot of people say that over the time. Listen, love goes past all of that. And the thing that, that the Lord has shown me, and especially right here when I see that, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Love should not just be a one-word definition for Jesus. It also should define us. And so where I find out that I'm falling a little short and I don't quite measure it up, and I'm not having the love that I should have, it's not a matter of just forcing myself, okay, God, I'm going to love them. I don't know how I'm going to do it, you know, because I want to strangle them at the same time. 
No, it's not about forcing yourself. It's about me coming a little bit closer to God. The more I know God, the more that I'm in relationship with God and spending time with Him, the more that love is going to come through me. The more that is going to begin to define me. So, so it's kind of like a fuel tank. If I find my love tank is getting low, get where do I got to go? I got to go to Jesus. I got to go spend some time with Him because He's the only way. I can't love enough. Uh, you know, there's people that I can love, but then there's some people that takes the Lord. Amen. And uh, probably the same. Some of you are like, yeah, that's how I feel about you, right? So, uh, uh, but the reason John could say that God is love is because of the things that John saw and the things that he experienced throughout his life. And, and I want to give you a little history because, like I said, he's a very old man at this point, and he experienced loss. Everybody here has experienced some kind of loss. But the loss that John experienced, I believe, was, was even bigger than what we can even imagine. He had lost all of his friends, family members, his whole society, his culture, all of that. John was alive when Nero sent, and uh, you'd have to do some history on this, General Vespasian into Judah. It was the uh, Jewish-Roman uh, war that was going on, and, and it started in the late 60s, and they, he went in into many of the towns in Galilee, destroying Jewish cities, killing thousands upon thousands, sending thousands into a slave market that was going on, and John lived through that. So this was probably in the late 60s. Uh, when I say 60s, I'm not talking about the 1960s, but uh, this was that first century. He was there through all of that. And in 70 AD, we know that's when the city of Jerusalem was under siege for seven months. People starved to death. The, uh, the Romans had built a, a ditch all the way around. People on the inside were starving. There was dysentery. There was all kinds of uh, a plague going on because you don't get fresh water and you've got all of that waste that's going on. It was an ugly, ugly time. And uh, at the end, eventually, the temple was torn down, was burned down. They say that over a million Jews throughout that whole time were slaughtered. Think about that. If that's your country, think about us in America. We get concerned about it. You find out, man, a million people were slaughtered, two to 300,000 taken into slaves during that time. We don't know where John was, but there's a good chance he was in that area. Whether he was saw it or not, he heard about it, right? He knew everything that was going on. And the time he had written, uh, his friends Peter, Paul, all of the other disciples have been executed. And you think about John, all of that loss, after all of that bloodshed, all of the, the, the chaos that was going on, levels that we probably can't even imagine, John never lost his faith. He never lost his faith. And you see at the end of his life in the Gospel of John, towards the end of the book, he says this, this the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these things are written, why? So that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He really is the one that came, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of of his name. How many of you know he's not talking about physical life? Because no. everybody was alive that was hearing that, right? We're all alive. We're all here. We're all breathing. <laughs> Everyone had that. He's talking about a different kind of life that, uh, that they knew nothing about, a life that is only through the power of Jesus. Jesus. 
Only through the power of his name. It's a complete different life that the world doesn't even understand. Like, how can you have hope in a hopeless situation? Because I have Christ at the center of my life. How can you stand on solid ground? Because I have Christ in the middle of my life. How can you deal with such loss that's so overcoming and heartbreaking? Because I have Christ in the center of my life. It's a life the world doesn't understand. And in spite of all that John had seen, in spite of all of the things that he's experienced at the end of his life, seeing the destruction of everything that was important to him, the loss of so many people that were important, he still believed that Jesus was that supernatural source of life that the world knows nothing of. Amen? That was him. And so when he begins his gospel, I love it because he doesn't begin with the birth story. He doesn't start with that. Why didn't he? I mean, you think, here, let me just give you a little bit more reminder about John. When Jesus was on the cross, and he's about to die. In, in culture, it was the responsibility of the firstborn son to take care of the parents, right? When they started getting older. So Jesus is up on the cross, looks down at John, and he says, John, behold your mother. Why does he say that? He's basically saying, I'm passing my responsibility to the firstborn son onto you. It's now your job to take care of my mom. And he tells his mom, uh, behold your son, follow after him. He's going to take care of you. He's going to make sure that you are provided for. And so history says that John and Mary spent a lot of time together. And you can imagine if you're friends with the, uh, and taking care of the mother of Jesus, how many times do you think he heard the birth story of Jesus? Right? Hey, what was that like, you know, when that angel showed up to you and said, you're going to have a baby and you've not ever been with a man? Uh, well, it was a little weird. It was a little hard to believe. Uh, what was, you know, I'm sure all of the questions were, were out there, what that was like. So I can imagine John heard the birth story numerous times. And in his gospel, he could have like probably shared some of the gaps that we have because he probably had the entire story. He had all of it. And uh, John had to know that uh, more than anyone else. But like I said, when he begins his gospel, he doesn't start out with genealogies. He doesn't talk about shepherds. He doesn't talk about angels or any of that. He begins with the significance of the birth of Jesus. What's important about it? And uh, here's the thing. Just like there were dark days when John wrote his gospel, think about it. All of, all of Israel is destroyed. Uh, there were, it reminded him there were dark days when Jesus came into this earth. The entire country, even though it wasn't destroyed, it was under oppression. Right? They were being taxed out of their mind. It was a horrible situation. And he sat down with his gospel. Before he got into any of the narratives or any of the details, he said something. And this is so powerful because at a time in our lives, how many of you know, we live in a dark time as well. Right? There's a lot of stuff that's going on, and I believe the, 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 the darker it gets, like I said earlier, the more complicated it gets. But I believe that we are reminded that, that he's still on the throne. Amen? He's still there. So John, realizing the darkness of it, he starts out chapter 1 at verse 4, and he says this, In him was life. Again, this is not physical life. Notice that he ended his gospel talking about that life was an important thing. Even though he saw a lot of destruction, he said, in him was life. And then he says, and that life was the light of, let's say, all mankind. He's making a big statement here. And I know 
because we live today in this world right now, we don't really understand how big of a statement that is. Uh, but to the Jewish people back then, wait a minute, he's a light to, to all mankind? Because once they started seeing Jesus as the Messiah, they thought that Jesus was only there for them. He was only there for Israel, that he would uh, basically be a continuation of the kings out of the Old Testament. He was going to reestablish the throne of David. Uh, he would, you know, Israel would once again become a superpower. They would defeat Rome, all that Roman impression. And so John is saying Jesus didn't simply come for the Jews. He came for all mankind. He's a light for everybody. He brought a new way of life for all people everywhere. And aren't you thankful for that? Because we're included in that. We're included in all of that. And so John was there the day that, that Jesus, he went to the cross, he rose again. And the Bible says that for 40 days he appeared to his disciples. One of those conversations that happened is recorded in the book of Acts. And, uh, and the disciples, think about this. It says, when the apostles were there with Jesus, they kept asking him. How many of you know that means they repeatedly asked him the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Anybody like that when people do that to you? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And they're like, shut up. I told you the first time, no, right? Okay, that's probably not the best way to respond. But they kept asking him. And what, would, what did they ask him? They said, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They still didn't get it, did they? They still didn't get it. They thought, okay, he went to the cross. I don't really understand all that. He rose from the dead. And uh, okay, now is the time, right? Now is the time that's going to happen. We're going to become the mighty Israel again. We're going to conquer these Romans and kick them out of there. We're going to put you on the throne. Uh, they still didn't get it. But Jesus responds to that because they still didn't get it. And he tells them the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. That's a really nice way of saying that's none of your business. All right? That's none of your business. You're not going to know that. That's not why I'm here. And so he basically tells them in the next verse exactly why they are here. He goes, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why are we getting this supernatural power? Because you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's like, my kingdom is not just for Israel only. I'm empowering you to take my kingdom everywhere, across every cultural boundary, every ethnic boundary. There is no barrier. I'm sending you as a light, not just for the Jewish nation, but for all mankind. All mankind, throughout every generation until he comes again. That's why he came. And he says this, after he says that, you know, for all mankind, he says, this light shines in the darkness. And I'm just going to stop right there for a minute. There was darkness all around, right? Everywhere that they look. And, and uh, I, I think the Ukrainians kind of have a small glimpse of what that looks like when, when they're seeing people, their friends, family dying, homes, all of that stuff going up. They have a glimpse of what he was talking about there. But John is saying that in spite of everything that has happened, in spite of all the people that have died, in spite of all the people that I've seen executed, my friends, t 
taken into captivity. In spite of the Jewish nation being decimated, the temple in uh, Jerusalem being destroyed. And how many of you know, once that temple was destroyed, the, the sacrifices didn't happen anymore. And guess what? Since 70 A.D., there hasn't been those sacrifices. So it's never, it's never been restarted. And he's saying, in spite of everything that I've grown to love, in spite of all of that, this light still shines in the darkness. It's still there. Darkness constantly tries to put out the light, doesn't it? Darkness extinguishes the light. Don't talk about Jesus. Oh, you're going around family and friends. Don't mention God. That's going to cause problems. We've got governments that have tried to shut Christ out, that have tried to put the light out. I mean, that happened in China. They're like, oh, we're, not, we're going to become an atheist nation. Uh, wrong. <laughs> you can try to put out the light, but that only caused the light to grow even more. There are more Christians in China, uh, I mean, by the billions or millions that are serving Christ now than whenever they tried to shut it out. You can't. Shark, uh, darkness will try to cancel you, will try to shut you out. All of that is going on, and as hard as it tries, John is saying the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. It never has, and it never will, no matter how hard they try. I love the uh, New Living Translation version of this. It says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Right? I, you know, when you think of an extinguisher, you think of the extinguisher. And I think sometimes the enemy like, sees a little candle, a little flicker burning there. It's like, I got a fire extinguisher. You know what? And after that's over, guess what? The light's still going. The enemy has no victory over us. Right? Doesn't the Bible say that you and I are more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus? And Paul, told, or Paul John totally understood that. I don't know what it was like when he got news that the Apostle Paul was executed. Like, like, I'm sure that he went through some grief on that when he found out Peter had been executed, when he realized that all of them are gone and he's the only one that's left. Uh, there had to be things that were going on, but I believe that with joy in his heart as he's living this life that only comes from Jesus, he wrote this in spite of everything the world tried to do. Everything that happened, the, to the extinguish that life, darkness has not overcome it. Like I said, it, it never will. Caesar tried. Guess what? It didn't work. Tiberius couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. They tried to destroy the temple, thought that would do it. It didn't. They tried to kill Jesus. It didn't do it. And, uh, and John was living that life. Like, you can't do anything to me. What did Jesus say? Don't fear those that can kill the soul or the body, you know, Fear those that can take the soul, right? God's got our soul. He's the center of our life. And I think about John, and this is actually in the Gospel of John, when, when the resurrected Jesus, and it says that John and Peter ran to the tomb, and I don't know why John put that I ran ahead, right? He's like, I'm a little bit faster than him. I don't know why that was in there, but, but he was there. He was there. He saw that. He was one at the beach when they were cooking fr uh, fish, and he ate breakfast with the risen Savior. And John, John was at this point in his life that he knew, you know what, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what goes on, no matter what goes on in the government, right? No matter what you and I face, no matter how deep heartache happens, and yes, heartache is real, isn't it? Right? You can't deny it. It's real. No matter the fearful situations that come up, 
uh, no matter what kind of depression happens, there is a light that still shines in the darkness. Right? The light is still there. Jesus is still shining. That's why we say Christmas is the greatest time of the year. Because when Jesus came, that light started shining and it's never gone out. It's never gone out. Through all the things that has happened over these last 2,000 plus years, Christ is still shining bright and the church is still growing. People are still getting saved. They can't, no matter what government, you can try, oh, let's cancel culture. Let's cancel the church. Good luck. Right? Good luck. Nobody else has been able to. What makes you think you're going to be able to? So, Timothy, you, you can come up. So here's my challenge. At Christmas time, when you're confronted by the fra- fact that there's going to be problems in your family that you can't fix, right? Because you're going to be confronted with that, right? When you're confronted by the fact that there are people and circumstances you're not going to be able to control, right? They're going to be crazy. They're going to be who they are. And then you're going to be going, you're going to have expectations. Maybe others will have expectations of you and you're not going to be able to meet it. And you just don't give it to them as well. We're reminded that in the midst of all of that darkness, that Jesus is the life and the light that overcomes the darkness. Know that nothing else. And what I wanted to do as this morning, as I was just even praying over this message and just this past week, I realized there's a lot of stuff that gets lumped in with Christmas. A lot of stuff that kind of gets thrown in there, and we just kind of go through the motions. Yes, you still got to go, family. You got to do a lot of that stuff. But really, it's only about Him. And this song that, that Pastor Timothy's about to sing, it's called Nothing Else. We, we've sung that. But I, I just want to encourage us. Can we turn the lights and can I have everybody stand up if you can? As we start this month off, I want to make a fresh commitment. God, I want you, nothing else. I want you, nothing else. I want the light burning in me. Maybe you've gone through some difficulties and some challenges, and maybe you felt that candle flicker a little bit. Uh, Let me tell you, get closer to him again. And that fire will begin to burn. The enemy will be upset. I can't think of anything more joyful than upsetting the enemy. Right? Let that fire begin to burn. And let's just sing this. Let's sing this as a worship unto God and a declaration of your faith. I'm sorry. 
sing another song and take me back to where I started. I open up my eyes to you. And I'm sorry when I come with my agenda. I forgot that you're enough Won't take me back to where I started I open up my heart to you I'm caught in your presence And I just wanna see Take me back to 
Lord, that's our heart's desire. Lord, as we start this month of December, Lord, we know there's challenges, there's difficulties, there's stuff, Lord, that are not great, that are happening around us. But Lord, because of what you did, because you came to this earth, because you came as a, as a baby, and that you died even a criminal's death, Lord God, we have hope. We have hope in you, O oh God. And so, Lord, we, we don't want to get caught up in the, the mess of this time, the commercialization, Lord. We can have fun. We can do that. But, Lord God, let us always keep focus. You're the reason. Lord God, let us be lives that, that shine that light into our world, into our families, Lord God, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, Lord God. The place that we go to, Lord God, let us be that light. Lord God, you are the reason that this is the greatest time, season of all is because of what you did. And so, God, let us live in that truth. Let us reflect that truth. Let us be examples of what love looks like as you demonstrated it to us. And Father, we thank you as we commit this time. Lord God, may you have your way in our lives. Lord, those that are watching online, we bless them. Lord, those that are not able to be here, Lord God, we just extend that blessing. Lord God, let us shine your light in all situations. In Jesus' name, amen.